Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, December 18th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Another day, another antitrust case against a big tech company. We'll explain who's going after Google this time. And worries over Brexit are prompting UK companies to stockpile. Plus, the Federal Reserve comes out with the results of its latest round of stress tests today. We'll see whether the Fed thinks banks can handle the ongoing pandemic. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. A group of more than three dozen U.S. state attorneys general yesterday filed an antitrust challenge to Google's core search engine. It's the latest in a flurry of lawsuits against the company. Another challenge comes from a separate group of 10 Republican attorneys general, and there's another from the U.S. Department of Justice. The FT's Richard Waters has been covering this, and I asked him what's behind these challenges. Well, Mark, I mean, to put it as most basic, the politicians and the law enforcers in the U.S. are making up for lost time. It is eight years since the Federal Trade Commission came very close to filing a lawsuit against Google. Since then, nothing has happened. And Google and the other tech companies have just got bigger and more powerful. So we're seeing these cases proliferate because people are falling over themselves to get cases in. Now, I think there are two things in particular that are worth bearing in mind. One is just that Google is a very complex business. It's really a series of overlapping monopolies. And there are different theories about how best to unpick that. And I think that's one reason we're seeing these different cases. A second thing is that you know all the politicians are now trying to get their name on these cases. And we're seeing this kind of race to the courthouse. So there are a ton of legal cases coming out now. But what's the legal strategy you're seeing here, Richard? Is it just kind of throw everything against the wall and see what sticks? Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a very interesting question of legal strategy. Is it better to go in with a very narrow kind of rifle shot approach or just, as you say, throw everything at this case? The DOJ started all of this two months ago, and they took a very, very narrow kind of attack. But what we've seen since is just this kind of uh, mass of other claims getting added to it. And the two this week, you know, each picked something different. So first of all, we saw Texas lead a case which really tries to prize open Google's advertising monopoly. And it says, you know, essentially Google is acting for buyers of adverts, it's acting for sellers of adverts, and it's also sitting in the middle acting as the marketplace for adverts. Now the latest one we're seeing led by Colorado is picking something different and it's saying, you know, Google search engine is being used to squeeze out rival information providers. They aren't getting a fair crack. Google is not showing them in its results. So, you know, these are very different things. Richard Waters is the FT's West Coast editor. He covers all things tech. Thank you, Richard. Yeah, good to talk to you, Mark. There's a new wrench in Brexit negotiations. Yesterday, Boris Johnson took aim at the EU's 750 billion euro COVID recovery package. The UK prime minister said the spending should not be exempt from state aid restrictions once the two sides come to an agreement. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said that big differences remain and bridging them will be challenging, especially when it comes to fisheries. And there's another Brexit-related logjam in Europe. Some key roads in northern France and southern England are backed up as freight trucks head toward cross-channel ferries and the tunnel. The extra congestion? It's partly UK companies stockpiling to prepare for possible trouble after December 31st. 
Peter Foster is the FT's public policy editor. He's been watching developments, so I asked him what's behind the stockpiling. Companies wanting to lay in stores because they're fearful that the new controls that come in on January the 1st on the EU-UK border will mean they'll get delays in getting stuff into their supply chains and warehouses. The second problem is that it's Christmas, and so it's always a busy time. So you compound the two, and you end up with some of the delays of the kind we've seen recently. So, Peter, who's doing the stockpiling? What kind of companies are we talking about here? So the stockpiling is being done by manufacturers, car companies, chemical companies, food companies, anyone who has inputs into a supply chain that doesn't want to see a disruption to their production lines as a result of key parts not getting uh, through at the border. What they're doing is protecting themselves, giving themselves two, three, four, five weeks of, of buffer zone if they can to ensure that whatever wrinkles come after the 1st of January, they can uh, smooth them out uh, at least as far their own uh, supply chain and production processes go. So Peter, any idea what this is going to do to prices? So the impact on prices is difficult to predict. Uh, Some of the big supermarkets expect prices to rise between 3 and 5% after January the 1st, as we see a Brexit supply crunch, particularly in perishable goods that will find it harder to get across the border, harder to deal with the border delays. So there are a range of factors, including human factors, whether or not European hauliers, for example, will want to enter the UK system, bearing in mind that 85% of the trucks that go across the channel are from Europe, whether they'll want to get into our system if it's blocked with traffic. Uh, Quite a lot of difficult, different factors mixing together uh, uh, to make any kind of hard prediction on, on where prices will go. Peter Foster is the FT's public policy editor. The U.S. Federal Reserve is releasing results of its latest bank stress tests today. These tests look at how well the biggest U.S. banks can handle fallout from the coronavirus. Here to talk about what to expect is the FT's U.S. banking editor, Laura Noonan. Laura, can you remind us why these tests are important and what exactly the Fed is checking up on? So there's a number of reasons why this is a really interesting set of stress tests for people who watch these things and for bank investors and bank watchers in general. What we have here is a second round of stress tests following up from the earlier round, which was released in the summer. The reason the Federal Reserve is doing this is because the coronavirus and the fallout from that poses severe and very different challenges for banks. There's two kind of really interesting things that we'll watch for. The first is them telling us one by one how individual big name banks, the likes of, say, different working chase, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, how they would fare, how much they would lose in the event of the coronavirus crisis becoming something that was a serious stress for banks based on the Fed's various parameters. The other thing then that that will feed into is the Federal Reserve has been imposing restrictions on what banks can do in terms of returning capital to to their shareholders. And they're doing that out of fear that there could be big loan losses and they want banks to keep money to deal with that. Now, because of this latest assessment, that's going to determine whether the Fed keeps in place restrictions from earlier this year. So earlier this year, they said that banks couldn't increase dividends above a certain level and that banks couldn't buy back their own shares. Those restrictions run until the end of December. Some banks have been clamoring hard to have those lifted. So we'll find out from these stress test results whether that's going to happen or not. So Laura, will the restrictions get lifted? I haven't talked to anyone who expects 
the Fed to lift all of their restrictions. The base case seems to be that restrictions will remain broadly speaking, until at least the second half of 2021. What we may see is a bit more differentiation between the different banks, and that's what the banks quite keen to see, because they would argue that the healthier banks, the banks who don't have big loan books, the banks who'd be making a lot of profits, that they should have more discretion in what they pay out. Morgan Stanley has been particularly strong on that because they had a record year in terms of earnings, and they really don't have the same kind of credit exposure, the same kind of loan book that would see them vulnerable to the COVID impact in the same way as maybe a JPP Morgan Chase would have these massive loan books. So pulling back a bit, Laura, you mentioned how um, that these stress tests will give us a sense of how the how resilient the banks are. And compared to 2008, 2009, the, the height of that financial crisis, what is the sense? Are banks in pretty good shape, especially that we are still in this pandemic? So I think the regulators, and in particular Randall Quarles, who is supervision head at the Fed, have been at pains to say that the banks have actually played a pretty helpful role in this crisis and that the banks have had to take on so much more equity in the last decade after the 08-09 crisis that they are actually in a much better starting point. And the banks themselves have been consistently saying that because of some of the regulations introduced in the aftermath of the crisis, they really have a lot more fuel in the tank to handle this than they would have had in 08, 09. And if you talk to banks, chief executives, bank chief risk officers, bank chief financial officers, and you say, if we had had the pandemic scenario in 2006, how would you have coped? And they just look at you blankly. If you think about the way the financial markets have continued to operate this year, the way that banks have continued to function, the way banks have made money, it's all been so smooth compared to how it would have been had until we had a pandemic scenario before the financial crisis when banks were just so much less robust, it would have been much, much more chaotic and much more dangerous. Laura Noonan is the FT's U.S. banking editor. Before we go, a final note on FedEx, which enjoyed a nice run-up to the holidays. The U.S. shipping company announced earnings yesterday, and in the latest quarter, that's the three months to the end of November, FedEx posted its highest quarterly sales on record thanks to all that online shopping by consumers, but investors were a little shaken. The company didn't provide a financial outlook for 2021. FedEx stock was down more than 3% in after-hours trading. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Amy Keene. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.